Section 4 of Reminiscences of a Southern Hospital by its Matron by Phoebe Yates Pember. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Sue Anderson. Little poetical effusions would sometimes be put under my cabin door, and notes of all kinds from patients. Among them was a very prettily worded request from a young man who was slightly indisposed with that most hateful of all annoyances to our soldiers, the itch, that shirt of Nessus, which, when once attached to the person, clings there forever. He begged me to call at his ward when at leisure, giving his name and bed. He proved to be an educated man and a gentleman, from the upper part of Alabama, which had been colonized by the best class of South Carolinians, and wanted to enlist any influence my position gave me to secure him a furlough. His story was interesting. Engaged to a young girl, the preparations all made, the ring even bought, he wore it on his little finger, and the marriage day fixed, they heard the first rumors of war. And patriotism urging him to enlist, the parents of his sweetheart refused to let them consummate the engagement till peace was restored. The desire to see her was almost unbearable, and feeling sincere sympathy for the hardship of the case, I tried, but in vain, to get him a furlough. The campaign had opened, and every man was needed in the field. The finale of the story was a sad one as are almost all stories in time of war. He was killed in repelling the attack on Petersburg, and the little history confided to me resolved itself into a romance which that night found shape and form. Loved and lost. The bride's robe is ready, the bridesmaids are bid, the groom clasps the circlet so cautiously hid for a home is now waiting a mistress to claim a lover a wife for his house heart and name there is peace in the homestead and mirth in the hall the steed idly stands at the rack and the stall the whole land is teeming with prosperous life for past are all memories of carnage and strife with rich golden harvests the ripe hills are blessed and god's providence stands revealed and confessed no priest blessed that union no ring wed that band with anger and discord soon rang the whole land through all its wide domains the dread tidings ran of bloodshed the lover was first in the van my dearest i leave thee those fond arms unfold wouldst wed with the timid the doubtful the cold no union can bless till our country be free so onward for liberty glory and thee right bravely fought he till sunlight lying low discovered a field that had left him no foe but when in the flush of a victory gained deep in thoughts of his love his honor unstained he wended his way to the home of his heart from her side never to swerve, from her love ne'er to part. Hastening on with the tidings he knew she would prize, his heart on his lips and his soul in his eyes. 
laid low by a shot courage could not repel at the feet of a mightier victor he fell and the bride that he left what needs it to say her doom was a woman's to watch wait and pray the heat of the struggle nerves man for the strife but bitter at home is her battle for life when far from the conflict unheeded alone her brain in a flame but her heart like a stone she patiently waits to hear one life is one or silently prays to say god's will be done the whiskey barrel as i mentioned in a previous page had been a bone of contention from the beginning and as it afterward proved remained so to the end liquor commanded an enormous price in dixie and if even its lovers had the means to purchase they had not always the chance of doing so the hospital being some distance from the city when first installed the desire to conciliate and the belief that i had to deal with men with some conscience led me to yield to solicitation for drink from many quarters but the demand increased fearfully a reference to dr m on the subject settled this matter in my own mind would that it had had the same effect on the suppliants the doctor said the liquor was exclusively for the use of patients and should only be given by a prescription and through a written order also that i was responsible for the quantity confided to my care and must each month produce the surgeon's receipts to balance with the number of gallons received from the medical purveyor there were at different times about a half dozen surgeons and officials who absolutely made my life wretched and yet who could not be gotten rid of except in a military way by charges being preferred and proved against them i had no recognized rank to make charges and if i had they were ludicrously petty in detail though distracting as mosquito bites there were many modes adopted to outflank me some of which can be recalled a quart bottle of whiskey would be ordered for night use by the surgeon of the day so that in case any of the patients should be taken ill it would be at hand the next morning on inquiry being made there had been no call for the surgeon during the night but the bottle would be empty and a complaint on my part would be met with an explanation that the rats who were very troublesome had knocked the bottle over on refusing to honor the next demand of the same kind the surgeon in charge was appealed to heard both sides and took neither this was just what i needed for my first months having been spent in mental terror of violating any rule however bad the results of obeying during the rest of my sojourn there i did as i thought right and braved the consequences preferring to be attacked to attacking one mode of annoying me became particularly offensive sending a negro boy with a cup and a request for so many ounces of whiskey 
at first a polite written refusal would be the answer but if this had been kept up a private secretary would have been necessary so in time it was replaced by a decided no a few minutes after this answer would be sent the boy would again stand before me with the same message and same results and this would occur half a dozen times consecutively the boy could not be subjected to punishment for he was compelled to obey and sometimes stung to irritation by this senseless pertinacity i would write a note to the offending party brief but sharp the rejoinder was invariably the same foolish question so often put to me did mrs dash consider herself a lady when she wrote such notes no was always the perverse answer not so long as she was brought in contact with such elements it was strange that with so little self-assertion dressed in a calico frock sometimes the worse for wear leather shoes woolen gloves and half the time with a skillet or pitcher in my hand that all the common class around me should contest my right to a title to which i never aspired in words the fact which must have been patent to them from the active persecution it entailed seemed to be a crying grievance my life away from my sick was exclusive both from inclination and prudence living alone in a solitude that was unbroken after dark it was better that no preferences should be shown and in a place where argus eyes were always watching a woman could not be too careful still the wars of the whiskey barrel continued one day the men of one of the lower wards sent for me and in the absence of their wardmaster complained that the liquor sent to them was never administered all agreed as to the fact and said the champagne bottle in which it was received was brought in and hid behind a certain vacant bed a search on my part brought it to light still full though the hour for giving it had long passed the wardmaster was summoned the full bottle exhibited and expressing my surprise at the want of faith in one i thought so honest heretofore i told him plainly that the facts of the case should be reported to the surgeon in charge his protestations were so earnest that he never drank and had not tasted liquor for eighteen months that i could hardly disbelieve him what then became of the quantity issued had he sold it the inquiry was met by indignant surprise the truth began to dawn upon this puzzling question that he had been false to his charge and his patients even if he had not drank the liquor was undoubtedly true and i told him calmly that on the facts being represented to the proper authorities he would certainly be sent to the field an hour after this the assistant surgeon of his ward entered my kitchen with rather a belligerent aspect did you say madam that you intended sending my wardmaster to the field i said i intended laying the facts concerning the disappearance of liquor before the surgeon in charge 
I consider myself responsible, madam, for that liquor, after it leaves your kitchen. Perhaps you may, but still it does not reach your patience, so I intend to make it my business to see, in future, that it does. Do you mean to insinuate that my ward-master has drank it? That man has not tasted a drop of liquor for a year. I know he has not, I said, and I also know where it has gone, looking him full in the face. He changed color, but would not give in. So, quietly passing him, I walked into my sanctum, my own little room adjoining the office. To my astonishment, he followed. Doctor, this is my private room, in which only my friends are admitted. Will you be kind enough to leave? No, madam, not till you explain what you mean. And he threw himself at full length upon my little couch. This was going rather far, so drawing out my watch, I placed it upon the table beside him. I give you five minutes, I said, to leave my room. If you are not gone by that time, commissioned officer as you are, and gentleman as you ought to be, I will send for a guard, have you taken to the guardhouse, and then explain to the Surgeon General why I acted in this way. He waited about three minutes, during which time he soliloquized audibly to the effect that I fancied myself the Surgeon-in-Chief, and did not know my position, but at last made up his mind that discretion was the better part of valor, and left. Proper measures to punish such conduct were, no doubt, taken, for after a few weeks he disappeared, perhaps sent to that military botany bay, the front. He took leave of his associates with hints that his talents demanded a larger sphere of action than a hospital. But the tables were about to be turned. Not forever was I allowed to carry war into the enemy's country to defend that friend whom I had stood by and fought for. The whiskey barrel was destined soon to be turned into a weapon of offense. The bold man who ventured to declare hostilities, and by a coup de grace changed the whole nature of the warfare from defensive to offensive, had been a barkeeper in a Georgia tavern, afterwards apothecary in a hospital in Macon, to avoid the field. In Richmond, he passed the surgeon's board by a process only known to themselves, a process which sometimes rejected tried and clever practitioners, and gave appointments to apothecary boys. Fate sent him to Dash Hospital, where the brilliant idea struck him of reforming abuses and checking thefts in the feminine department. He commenced proceedings by ordering a half-pint of whiskey for one of his patients. The etiquette of a hospital enjoined that no one should interfere with the surgeon's prescriptions. So I carried up the order to Dr. M., the chief surgeon, received his instructions not to give so much raw liquor without a requisition signed by the surgeon in charge, 
and wrote to the assistant surgeon a few lines explanatory of my instructions the matter being arranged i forgot all about it but the next day the coup de grace was struck the following note being handed me dash hospital richmond august third eighteen sixty three chief matron is respectively asked to state the amount of water used as compared with amount of whiskey in making toddy if the strength of toddy has been uniform since the first of may eighteen sixty three if any change has taken place in diluting the whiskey in the within period she will also please state what the change has been also when the change has been made and by whose authority respectfully blank blank assistant surgeon in charge these questions were simply absurd with a couple of hundred men having drinks ordered them each day by different surgeons each prepared to suit different stages of disease no day bringing the same orders how could any kind of statement be made and if even it could by what authority had my little friend assumed the right to question perhaps as he seemed so much in earnest it would be better to turn the whole affair into a comedy instead of a tragedy so the day being rainy too wet to go to the wards i answered in full feeling very charitably that he was welcome to all the information he could extract from five pages of foolscap in this document polite officially formal and as officially obscure i told my correspondent that not only his questions could not be answered satisfactorily but that he had not the slightest right to ask them diplomacy was certainly a failure for an hour's delay brought the following dash hospital third august eighteen sixty three chief matron is respectfully called upon to state what amount of whiskey has been given to each patient when amount has not been expressed by surgeon or assistant surgeon upon the rolls but instead whiskey three times a day as ordered upon the rolls which i send you respectfully blank blank assistant surgeon in charge no solemn five pages were sent this time the rejoinder was short and to the point dash hospital third august eighteen sixty three the chief matron is too much occupied to make any more voluminous explanations being at the moment up to her elbows in gingerbread the next was certainly very alarming the sleeping lion was roused dash hospital third august eighteen sixty three chief matron is hereby informed that if she willfully or contumaciously refuses to give me such information as she is possessed of and demanded by me thereby obstructing the duty i have been called upon to perform the responsibility must rest upon her own shoulders respectfully blank blank assistant surgeon in charge a serious but short rejoinder sent to this gentleman to the effect that he had not the right or authority to propound those questions 
which were in fact unanswerable closed the paper war and i had forgotten all about this foolish little episode when the correspondence was returned folded in official style and endorsed at the surgeon general's office to the effect that it was referred respectfully to the surgeon-in-chief through whose hands alone official etiquette required all reports should pass to the head of the department but not long did this document remain in my correspondent's hand having failed to interest the surgeon-general in his cause he drew up a statement of the case accusing me of disrespect to my superior officer and sent this with the obnoxious notes up to the office of the military governor of the department of enrico who read the correspondence with some curiosity if not interest back however it came without response in a few days and by this time some of the waggish surgeons having got wind of the matter persuaded my disappointed friend to try the secretary of war whether he ever did so i did not inquire getting tired of the foolish business my correspondent disappeared one day the last i saw of him were his pantaloons of georgia clay embrowning the landscape adown the hill a better and more highly educated class of surgeons were sent soon after to fill vacancies and this made my duties more agreeable there would be nothing distasteful in such a life as mine was if a proper discretion would be exercised or rules enforced so that no demands should be made upon the matron for what she has no right to furnish these demands were the beginning and end of my troubles for in all else i tried hard to keep within the bounds of my position and succeeded so far that no temptation induced me to interfere with the medical treatment even to giving the slightest alleviation to a suffering man during the first month when quite a novice yielding to a poor fellow's prayer for something to wash his mouth with i gave him a little myrrh in water to use for gums frightfully excoriated by calomel and suffered the annoyance of seeing the pompous assistant surgeon throw it out of the window from that time my mind was made up to resist all such impulses and persevere in such a course of conduct to the last but this antagonism was not always the rule there were many sensible kind-hearted efficient men among the surgeons who gave all their time and talents to further the comfort and well-being of their patients men who would let me work hand in hand with them the nurse with the doctor and listen kindly and respectfully to my suggestions if ever they were irrelevant as i said before dr m the surgeon-in-chief was an unfailing refuge in times of distress and whenever broken down by work and small miseries i sought his advice and assistance the first was not only the very best that could be secured but unlike most of its kind palatable and the last entirely efficient the surgeon too of my own division though eccentric and wanting much indecision of character 
sustained me during sore trials as ably as he could, for the authority delegated to him was not great, and his dread of responsibility almost a disease. He never intended to be unkind or unjust, but self-examination and investigation of characters round him was not his forte. He certainly withstood a vast amount of complaint directed against his chief matron, and while we had our pleasant little differences occasionally, that we still preserved amicable relations, was due more to his amiable temper than my proper submission. I think he had many faults, but I am sure I had more, and if the popular remark, which has become a maxim, that a man must be very clever to keep a hotel, be true, it certainly ought to apply to one that can govern a hospital. Now, for the first time, began to be felt what was really meant by war, for privations had to be endured which tried the temper and patience. A growing want of confidence was constantly forced upon the mind, and with doubts which, though unexpressed, were felt as to the ultimate success of our cause, came into play the antagonistic qualities of many around us. The money worthless, and a weak financier and weaker Congress failing to make it worth the paper it was printed on, the latter refusing to the last to raise the hospital fund to meet the depreciation. Everything furnished through government contracts of the very worst of its kind, perhaps necessarily so from the difficulty of supplying at all. The railroads constantly cut, so that what had been carefully collected in the country by hospital agents, in the form of poultry and vegetables, would be unfit for use by the time the connection was restored. The inducements for theft in this season of scarcity of food and clothing, the appeals made for the coarsest meal by starving men, all wore upon the health and strength of those exposed to the strain, and made life in a hospital weary and hopeless at times. The rations became so small towards the end of the war that every ounce of flour was valuable, and I can remember the times when it has been necessary to refuse, with heart aching and eyes filling, the request of decent, manly-looking fellows for a small piece of dry cornbread. If given, it would have robbed the rightful owner of part of his scanty rations. After the flour or meal had been weighed and made into bread, it was almost ludicrous to see with what painful solicitude Miss G. and myself would count the rolls or hold a council over the pans of cornbread measuring with a piece of string how large we could afford to cut the squares so that they should hold out. Sometimes, when from the causes stated, the supplies did not come as usual, invention had to be taxed to an extreme, and every available article in the pantry brought into requisition. We had constantly to fall back upon dried fruit and rice for the convalescing appetites, and tea or arrowroot for the very sick. There was only one way of making the latter at all palatable, 
and that was by destroying its consistency and flavor or rather flavorlessness by drenching it with whiskey long abstinence in the field from everything that could be considered a delicacy exaggerated the fancy of sick men for any particular article of food into a passion and they expressed wishes for such peculiar dishes that surgeons and nurses might well be puzzled one of the greatest difficulties in gratifying these desires was that tastes became contagious and whatever a patient asked for his neighbor and the one next to him and so on all through the ward wanted also and it was impossible to make a difference no one unacquainted with the state of the southern country can appreciate the difficulties under which we labored stoves in any degree of usefulness we did not have they were rare and immensely expensive as may be supposed they were not the most convenient articles in the world to pack away in small blockade running vessels and the trouble and expense of land transportation also seriously affected the quality of the wood furnished us timber which had been passed over before this time as unfit for use light wet and soggy became the only quality received the bacon too cured during the first year of the war when salt commanded an enormous price in most cases was very bad from the economy practiced in the use of that article and bacon was one of the sinews of war we kept up brave hearts and said we could eat the simplest fare and wear the simplest clothing but there was absolutely nothing to be bought that did not rank as a luxury it was useless to attempt to economize and one felt in full force the submissive precept sufficient for the day is the evil thereof there really was a great deal of heroism displayed in looking back at the calm courage with which miss g and myself learned to count the number of mouths to be fed daily and then contemplating the food calculate not how much but how little each man would be satisfied with war may be glorious in all its panoply and pride when in the field opposing armies meet and strive for victory but battles fought by starving the sick and wounded by crushing in by main force day by day all the needs of human nature make victories hardly worth the name end of section four